soon as you think you've done enough research, you're only halfway there. You need to do more. And you need to really act as if you're already currently running the business and find out where those holes are. Because if you could be where I was a year into my business when you first start, which I think some entrepreneurs can be if they just know more, um, it's a great system. And I would also ask to speak to other startups in similar you know, industries, not someone who would be a direct competitor because that could be strange, but if someone is willing to say, you know, look, if, if it's me as CBD and someone's launching a different type of nutrition supplement, like approach someone like me, who's obviously willing to share, but learn where these holes are. You know, like I can listen to, you know, as much expert advice, but if I can't really see where other people have made mistakes, it's very hard. And that's why I think it's such a great question. I think it's very hard to then know what your potential mistakes are going to be. So as soon as you think you're, you're done, you're only halfway there when it comes to preparing to launch or actually make it happen. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Now today, our, uh, we have an, another great guest, uh, Brick Alt, or Alpert, if I can say it right hopefully. Um, and uh, Brooke was a competitive horse jumper um, in or sh- or com- hor- competitive show horse jumper in high school, um, then went to college on and did writing as well, majored in psychology, um, went to work for Vogue magazine, then to Teen Vogue, um, went to New York working for a while, and then went to back to school for a time, uh, for a period of time, and then uh, went to do be into being a dietitian, um, husband has some health issues and moves over into the cannabis and CBD world. So with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Brooke. That is me in a nutshell. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's unpack that nutshell a bit. I, I packed everything into 30 seconds. So why don't we go back a bit in time to when you were doing a competitive uh, or show jumping and uh, go from there? Sure. So um I mean, I was the barn girl, so I would leave high school early every day and head over to my horses where, you know, I'd help take care of them as well as train uh, so we could compete all, you know, around the tri-state area and more. Um, and it really, I, I think that it's any sport in general is so important for kids. I have two daughters, they both figure skate. I just think anything that you have outside of school really helps with confidence, really helps with independence. I, I, I think it's an incredibly important skill set to learn. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Mine was certainly unique dealing with live animals um, and the time that it was required, but I'm really, really grateful for it. And high school was funky for me. I fit in, I didn't fit in all at the same time. So, but I was always very- I think that just about describes everybody's high school experience or almost everybody's, so- so now yeah. you say, okay, you did, you know, that was high school experience. You did the show jumping. And I think that you even did that as you started out in college. Is that right? Yeah, I rode all through college. I went to a, a very small school called Goucher College that had an amazing equestrian team. And that's why I went. And it was a great going from a small school and really living at a barn more than anything. It, it would have been a big jump to go anywhere else. So this was a, a really nice step to move to like a small liberal arts school with an incredible team and a great coach. Oh, and that's awesome. That sounds like it was a, a great opportunity. And so now you're saying, okay, go do that throughout high school, do it in college, 
um, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity. It's sound, you know, a lot of fun. And then in the meantime, you're saying, well, I may not be able to do this as a full-time gig when I graduate. And so I have to get a degree in something else. And so you went into psychology or majored in psychology and then, you know, help us understand how you went from psychology in college to working at Vogue magazine. May, that may be a great fit. It just wouldn't have been the first thing that came to mind for a psychology major. So how did you kind of make that transition? <laughs> a good question. I came into college being a biology major. I was convinced I was going to be a vet. Like I never lost that idea um, that I had as like a four-year-old kid, right? Um, And then I got creamed during classes my freshman year, just creamed. Um, And between having to keep up with my classwork for, you know, the pre-med world to, as well as keeping up with the team, I, I was, I was drowning. Um, but I loved a psychology course that I had taken there, a teacher. It, it's funny, all of the things that have really affected me in life, it's always when there's that one teacher that just sees you for who you are. And every so often you get a teacher that sees you when you feel like nobody else does. And I, I, I just really connected with uh, the psychology head there and really loved her and felt very like welcomed and accepted into her program. And I dove headfirst into it. And I'm grateful for it because it was a great I mean, no one's going to ever not use any sort of psychology classes, right? Like (laughs) for the rest of your life. But, um, you know, when I left school, I went and I got a job. I moved right to New York City where um, I was from right outside of the city. And I, I somehow during one of my internships over the summer, it was in the magazine industry. So I had a little bit of an in. And so my first job that I was offered and accepted was at Vogue because you don't turn that down when that comes your way. No, it, it, and I said it's a big magazine, well known, and, and you know, and I agree that there's a lot of psychology. One of the complete a side note, but I think is I always find psychology interesting. I always look at it more from the buyer psychology of you know how you make decision your decision making for uh, making a purchase and what the what is that process and how people think about it and what is subconscious or conscious. And I always love to dive into that. So I think that that definitely makes sense. There's a a lot of overlap there, and so you say okay good opportunity came my way, decided there, I couldn't pass it up type of a thing. So you go to work with teen or with Vogue and what did you do with Vogue as far as, did you use your psychology degree or kind of what did you do when you were there? I mean, I used my degree in order just to like help me survive being like, you know, a young 22 year old new to the city, new Mm -hmm. to this life. It was a pretty, you know, there was no um, warm up time you know, you were really sort of thrown into the deep end. And I was so ignorant about what I was getting myself into. Um, But I ended up loving it. And I had a great boss. And she was also taking the lead of the, they were doing like an insert of Teen Vogue into the regular magazine of Vogue every couple of months. And maybe it was quarterly or or twice a year. Um, And so I was already had like a little bit of an in with Teen Vogue. And so it was great to get to watch her, you know, it was a startup magazine basically, but it had the foundation of the name Vogue. So it was very cool to see the startup world from that aspect. Um, But at Vogue, I worked in the beauty section. So I was, you know, doing beauty writing, beauty editorial, um, meeting with PR teams. It was, it was a great, you know, it paid terribly, but it was a great like way to sort of like meet people in the city because you know I was introduced to people like you know 17 times a day um it was great oh and it sounds like it'd be a definitely a fun opportunity so so now you say okay you've done that for a while now you transition from just a, a Vogue magazine to what is Teen Vogue um so you know what was the what was the genesis for that transition and you know what or how how did that go for you 
So my boss was the editor in chief of Teen Vogue. So while they were just doing it as like a, a addition to regular Vogue, um, I was already working with her and I really enjoyed working with her. So when she had the opportunity to leave Vogue to really run the startup of Teen Vogue, I hopped in with her, you know, she offered to take me with her. So then I became, you know, the assistant to the editor in chief. So it was a bigger title, a bigger promotion for me, more responsibilities. Um, I'm very type A when it comes to my organizational skills. So uh, it was a really good fit as well. And the cool thing was while I was there, I got to sort of really learn more about the other departments where I was really just stuck in beauty editorial. And I, it was really fascinating to get to learn you know, about what other, other sections were doing and what could possibly be of interest to me in the future. Um, ironically, when I was really ready for the next step and to get a promotion, my boss was not ready to lose me as her assistant. And so she kept sort of holding me back, but I'm grateful for that because if I had continued to go up in the ranks, I probably never would have looked to change, right? So all of a sudden I started thinking about what else were my passions and nutrition was definitely one of them. So from there, I basically started taking nighttime classes uh, just to see if I would be okay going back to school and, and learning about dietetics and nutrition. And then when I never got that promotion officially, I was like, I'm out. And I went back to grad school full time. No, it makes sense. You know, I, I get it on both sides on the boss. Oh, I do a great job and you're helpful. And I want to keep you in this position because it, there's impactful. And on the end, on the other hand, you're saying, Hey, I want to have the ability to expand and grow and have other opportunities. And I don't want to just be, you know, stuck, so to speak in a, a given area and never have an opportunity to rise. And so, you know, makes sense why you go back to school, started exploring that. And then, you know, as you were to, as that didn't, their opportunity never came available to finish that up. So you come out of school now as a dietitian and did that, how long did you do uh, the dietitian or how long did you, how did you, what did you do to get started as a dietitian? How long did you do that for? Sure. Well, graduate school took four years. So in order to become a registered dietitian, it also includes like a full year of what we call like our, it's called the dietetic internship, but it's basically like a residency. So I was working in the hospital. Um, you know, I was really sort of like thrown into the, the clinical dietetics world where my real passion was going to be more in the community working one-on-one -on -one with people, um, less clinical, more health focused, more, you know, wellness. Um, so after the four years, at that time, I had already met my husband. Uh, we were engaged to be married by the time I got my master's um, and my full degree. So it was, we didn't own property. We only had like a small rent to pay or small by New York standards. Um, and oh, so- big by it, Utah standards, but at least small by New York standards. Yes, yes, by New York. Yeah, for the two of us, you know, to, to be living in a, a one bedroom apartment, we, we were living like a very nice life. And so at that point, he's like, listen, if you're going to do a startup, if you're going to launch yourself, this is the time to do it because there's mortgages, weddings, babies all in our future. And so I, I dove in and I started my own practice with nothing. I rented a tiny office twice a week and I had to wheel my scale in and out of the closet in the beginning because I shared it with a psychologist who thought a scale would be traumatizing to their patients. <laughs> so there, I had there to- There may be some truth to that. It might not have the right impression. But totally, no, that totally not wrong. But I mean, I still remember like, you know, I'd be like all dressed up in the outfit I'd want to be in, you know, trying to look this part of something that I really felt like I was an imposter for, trying to like wheel this giant doctor scale in and out of the closet each time. Um, but I started with no patients and slowly, you know, got one and it just sort of builds, uh, 
and snowballed into I needed to move and get a full-time practice and associates. And, you know, it was a really lovely growth. And then I could just expand as I went. So it worked out really well. Oh, it sounds like it was a great, or great timing and a, and a great opportunity. So now you do that. And how long did you, or how long did you build your practice for? How long were you doing that? I still have my practice, even though it's really one of the small percentages of time that I spend my, my uh, energy on now, but it's been 15 years. So, and in that course, I've written three books, two bestselling. Um, it's been, it's been quite, um, it's been an amazing experience for sure. Yeah, no, and I think that that, in, you know, it's, it's fun to build a practice and then you also have opportunities that come along the way and you kind of expand almost as you kind of did with the, you know, cannabis and CBD and you're saying, you know, it builds to, to some degree is like a natural extension out. And so now help us understand. So you're building your practice, being a dietitian that's still going as of today. And then along the way, I think you mentioned your husband started to have a bit of health issues and, you know, how did, how did that evolve into getting more into the, the cannabis CBD world? So, you know, I, I always say like, I come home feeling so satisfied with the work I was doing. You know, I had other, you know, new happy patients. I had people feeling better telling me that, you know, their aches and pains or whatever their issues were gone. And then I'd come home to my husband who was struggling. And in hindsight, he's been sick much longer than we ever realized. We just always had something else to blame it on. Oh, he's not a good sleeper. Oh, he's in pain because he hurt himself, you know, but in, 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 you know, if we're totally honest with ourselves, we were kind of blind that there really was something brewing. And, and eventually he was diagnosed with a severe autoimmune disease that basically prevents him from standing or walking for any period of time. Uh, about eight years ago, it spread to his arms from, it was originally just in his lower legs and feet, it spread to his arms and hands um, right around the time of our second daughter's birth. Um, so it, it's, it's been, you know, living in New York City and having a husband who can't walk um, very far. It, it's a challenge. So it really did interfere with our quality of life and his chronic pain is a big deal. Being married to a dietitian, and I think you and I spoke about this offline earlier, like it's no fun being married to a dietitian when you've got some health problems because I was on that poor guy. Um, really like I, you know, find research that said that gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free. I, I mean, I was throwing everything at him just to try to give him some comfort and nothing really worked. And I eventually put him on an insane diet called the Walls Protocol, which is an incredibly effective diet for people with MS. His symptoms are very similar to MS. So I was like, well, this isn't going to hurt. Um, and I just tortured him. He was eating liver and red cabbage for most of his meals. Um, he really <laughs> he hated me at some points. So the joke is that he fired me as his practitioner, uh, but kept me on as his wife and his baby mama. So, um, you know, it's very hard to stand back and watch your partner struggle and not be able to help. I mean, you know, even something like if he couldn't open a jar, like, you know, I want to jump in and help. And I'm sure people can relate to that. Right. And telling me to back off was, was a real challenge. Um, it was almost harder for me to deal with than like the, the reality of his disease, so I backed off, but during that time, I'm always doing research. And that's when I luckily stumbled across some really cool information about CBD and pain. And eventually I just approached him after I, I got my facts straightened up. And I said, I don't know what this is. I don't know much about it. It's made from pot. And he's like, all right, this I'll do. And uh, <laughs> sounds like fun. Why not? If nothing else, I'll have a good time. He's like, you've never offered me this. So um 
And it was the first time that anything I've ever recommended or anyone has recommended besides pain medication has given him relief. And that's when I knew I needed to learn more. And, you know, I'm a science nerd at heart, right? That's always where my, my passion has been. I like research. I like proof to say what I'm doing, right? Like I like facts. Like I drink this because I know it's good for me based on these like 17 studies. So I started doing more and more research on my own. And the more research I did, the more I realized like I need a full education. So I went back and uh, enrolled in this awesome program and became certified as a cannabis practitioner. Um, and while like I was doing my certification and studying and it was incredibly intense, I just, I fell in love with CBD. My degree like would give me, you know, I could work with people with medical marijuana. I could really sort of expand outside of CBD, but I fell in love with CBD and it's what helps my husband. And it just was, you know, anytime that that was like part of the coursework, I was like double focused on it. So I found like a new passion within a, you know, a passion already, which was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. And, you know, it's, it's one where I could, I could get that in the sense that, you know, my wife always hates when I, I play the, the lawyer type of a thing when I'm sitting there and I'm arguing and debating and poking holes. And, and it's more of like, it's, it gets frustrating to her because she doesn't want to have discussions with the lawyer. She wants to have discussions with her husband. And so I have to kind of to the degree I'm able to, which is difficult for me, kind of turn that off and just have a normal discussion or turn off that part of the way that I like to approach or, or solving things. And I can only imagine there's probably something, you know, some overlap or similar to what you found of, hey, I don't need to, I, sometimes I don't need the dietitian. I just need the, the, the wife and the spouse and that type of thing to help me through this hard issue. But it's also great that you're able to kind of continue to figure that out and, and or find a solution that works for him. And then also find that that expounds onto your passion. So that kind of now brings us a bit up to where you're at today. And so you have the continuing to do the cannabis CBD or part of the practitioner. You're also running the dietitian. So now you kind of say, okay, that's what I'm doing today. If you're to look into the next, you know, six to 12 months, where do you kind of see things headed or what's the, the next or next part of your journey? Really for the last like four years, it's been, I'd say 90% cannabis and CBD, 10% nutrition. Um, and it's, it's so easy to fall back on nutrition because it, it's, it's fast. It's, I can do it quickly. Like it's old hat, right? And the, the money is solid. And in a startup world, <laughs> like I constantly need that. But I find that it really distracts me from my focus. And that when I spend too many days with a couple of patients and preparing for those sessions, I, I really lose a lot of my focus for my own business. Um, so there's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really hard tightrope. So I'd say now 5% of my time max is spent on the nutrition side of the world. Um, I use it more now with my daughters so I can torture them instead of my husband <laughs> about why that, you know, boxed food isn't good for them. But um, yeah, it's mainly, mainly um, the cannabis world that I'm in. And what happened was falling in love with CBD and seeing what it did for my husband was, you know, mind opening. And I could find tons of products for him, but I couldn't find anything that like would make sense for someone like me to take, right? So learning about what CBD can do for anxiety, for sleep, for stress relief, you know, all of those things were what I personally would always deal with and what my, most of my patients in my practice were dealing with. So I couldn't find something that felt like not medicinal, that didn't feel like a, a product for an illness you know, versus like, I wanted a product for wellness. 
So like my husband is sick, right? That he has a, a true disease. He needs help. He takes these pills, right? He takes these tinctures. All of that makes sense for him. But I already take like enough vitamins. I didn't want another pill. I wrote a book of, against sugar. I couldn't create a gummy or it didn't feel authentic to eat or consume, you know, or recommend gummies. So it was really hard to find like, well, where's CBD? And then there were like vapes, but I'm like, I'm literally a health, you know, expert. Like I'm just, vaping's not happening for me. And I have children. So what I realized was missing in the field was really a CBD product that met all of like the obnoxious standards that I have, right? But that especially was, you know, focused on wellness, right? Where I'm not fixing my husband's autoimmune disease with my own product. I'm not changing, you know, someone's psychological makeup or taking them away from the meds that they may or may not need. But where are people like me and the hundreds of people that I saw in my practice, what kind of product would be meant for them? And that's why I created Daily Habit. No, and it sounds like that, you know, it's it's, it's fun to kind of hear that uh, going through all of that and what that journey was that led up to. And then it kind of also puts you on a, maybe a trajectory that you hadn't necessarily thought of, but it was one that you find that you enjoy and are passionate about. So that's a, definitely a fun journey to, to, to hear and to, or for you to share. Well, with that, um, now as we kind of reach, uh, you know, to your to where you're at in the present, even looking a bit in the future, now is... Um, it kind of reaches that point of the podcast where we, I always ask two questions at the end of each journey. And so we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what'd you learn from it? You know, I think I've made a bunch of worst decisions. <laughs> there can only be one worse. There could be a lot of bad decisions, but only the wor- worst is one. You know, I think the hardest thing for me moving from really just like a single practitioner, right? Or even the people that worked for me, my my business model when I was just doing nutrition work was really simple, right? How many people could I see in a day? What was really expected? What was my overhead? Like it was very, very simple. And it was really all based on the amount that I was able to work because I could work up to 20 hours a day if I wanted and I could make that money. Moving into e-commerce and moving into a consumer product was a a world that I didn't even realize how different it was. I thought I understood numbers. I thought I understood business because I had run mine really, really well, right? I I was doing incredibly well as a dietitian. It's a completely different animal shifting over into a consumer product, you know, uh, company. And I just didn't know enough going in. And I thought a lot of it I could wing and I couldn't. And so that first year I made some decisions and I'm proud. We, I chose no outside investors, even though we had some offers because I wanted full control. You know, I really made all of those decisions, but my ability to know where the holes were in the business, right? Of like knowing, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so that's where like I have had like the steepest learning curve and some of the hardest times because I wasn't even aware that I needed to be doing so much more. It was, it was shocking to me as someone who was a workaholic and I get it all done that there were so many like things that I was missing. So I really could have used a little bit, perhaps more time, although I don't think I should have taken more time because of this market. Right. But a really more of a deep dive or a crash course 
more so. I was so focused in creating and the science and the development of the product and the communicating and the writing about it, which is what I specialize in, you know, this the, the public face of it, that there was a lot of the business end that I, I just could have done better. I think like legitimately one of the worst decisions were right at the height of the pandemic is when we launched our single serving to go packets, which were like, oh, people will bring these on their way to coffee shops. You know, like that was supposed to be this big launch that timing wise was terrible. It was a great product, but the timing was terrible. So I, I can definitely say that was a bad decision in hindsight. But I, I think just not having enough of my ducks in a row to know what I was missing when I first launched was the, the worst mistake I made. And I, I think that that one, that's always a hard balance, you know, on multiple kind of competing interests. In the one sense, you want to get things out in the marketplace. You've done it in other areas and you're saying, in, in a lot of times, you don't even know where I'd go to get more of the information. And so you kind of say, well, I've done this before. I've run other businesses. I've been successful. And it gives you a bit of that false security. And so then you get going and I've done that multiple times as well, where you you find out there's a lot more involved or a lot of things that you didn't think know and you didn't figure out. And sometimes it's, you know, years down the road before you really said, well, it would have been really helpful if I'd known this before. And yet you have to get going somehow and you, you dive in anyway. So that's a, 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 it's certainly an understandable to make and a, a mistake to make and one that's uh, great to learn from. Second question I'll always ask is, so if now if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, What'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? As soon as you think you've done enough research, you're only halfway there. You need to do more. And you need to really act as if you're already currently running the business and find out where those holes are. Because if you could be where I was a year into my business when you first start, which I think some entrepreneurs can be if they just know more, um, it's a great system. And I would also ask to speak to other startups in similar, you know, industries, not someone who would be a direct competitor because that could be strange. But if someone is willing to say, you know, look, if, if it's me as CBD and someone's launching a different type of nutrition supplement, like approach someone like me, who's obviously willing to share, but learn where these holes are, you know, like I can listen to, you know, as much expert advice, but if I can't really see where other people have made mistakes it's very hard. And that's why I think it's such a great question. I think it's very hard to then know what your potential mistakes are going to be. So as soon as you think you're, you're done, you're only halfway there when it comes to preparing to launch or actually make it happen. No, and I think that that's a, it's a great uh, takeaway because to your point, there's you can do a lot of research. Now, I don't know that, you, you know, you can go to the extreme and I'll cab out it with, you can get some research paralysis or you always are looking at it so much. And I'll see occasionally you'll meet people that, hey, I've been working on this or thinking about it for 10 years. And well, at some point you have to say, I'm never going to know everything. But I think that the other thing is, is to continue or to learn as much as you can, push it as far as you can get going, but then don't just turn it off and say, well, we'll figure it out as we go along, but continue to learn and to grow. And I like the idea of going out and it could be somebody in the exact same industry, but at a different marketplace, maybe it's geographic location. So go five towns over somewhere that you're not going to be a competitor with, but learn a lot of mistakes or to your point, if it's someone, Hey, this is something that they are going to be a competitor, then go find a a similar vertical and go learn that from them. And I think that it gives you the ability to learn from others as opposed to having to always make those mistakes yourself. So I think that's a, a great takeaway. Well, as people, excuse me, if people want to reach out to you, they want to find out more, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor. If you ever decide to take on investors or they want to be your next best friend, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? 
everything can be found at our website, <clears throat> which is dailyhabitcbd.com. So every, everything there, if you want to invest, come on over right now, because I think my mind has definitely changed after, you know, three plus years of doing it solo. Um, but dailyhabitcbd.com. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect, and otherwise uh, find out more because it sounds like it's a, a great opportunity um, on all on all fronts, to, to whether it's uh, anxiety, health, or you have uh, specific needs, or if you'd like to work there or be an investor, so or maybe <laughs> just make a new friend. So definitely uh, check them out at their website. Thank you again, Brooke, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to share your story. So go over to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things. Make sure to, to click subscribe, leave us a review, and share it as much as you can because we want to make sure to help out as many startups and small businesses as we can and share all the stories along the way. And so with that, if you ever need help with your patents or your trademarks or anything else with your business, Feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Grab some time with us to chat. Thank you again, Brooke, for coming on the podcast and uh, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much for having me.